And the more and more comfortable I have become in allowing people to think what they need to think, believe what they need to believe, even though it's radically different from my version and my narrative, let them ultimately be wrong about me has allowed me to free those resources, free that mental space and get really comfortable with the discomfort of not being liked. Welcome to The Shift, where we search for ways to do better by thinking better. Whether you're going through a major life change, looking to deepen your understanding of yourself, or hoping to improve your relationships with others, The Shift is here for you. We're your hosts, Isla and Yashar, an endlessly curious sister and brother team. As certified brain-based executive coaches with backgrounds in medicine and management, we combine the neurosciences, performance psychology, strategic planning methodology, and mindfulness techniques to empower your transformation from the inside out. Join us in conversation as we explore better ways to show up for ourselves and each other. Welcome back to The Shift, my friends. Today's topic is the challenge of not being liked. This is something we're all going to face at one point in our lives. And today's episode is really to understand what is happening, what do we feel when it's happening, and some new tools to be able to handle situations in which we are not liked or not seen or not understood in the way that really aligns with our version of ourselves, the version we see within ourselves. You know, I know this has probably happened to everyone once in their life, if not multiple times. And I think if we can find new ways to shift our mindset around this concept of not being liked, it will help us thrive. Yasha, what do you think about this concept of not being liked? I think you said it well when you said in intimate relationships. I think that matters a lot. I think we can get away with intellectualizing why it doesn't matter that others don't like us the further they're removed from our sphere of, of intimacy. But the closer you get to that sphere, I think the harder it is to simply intellectualize it being okay that you're not understood or seen or cared for in the way that you want to be. And so this is something that we all have to wrestle with. And I think there needs to be a strong parameter within ourselves to know when we work towards solving that issue and when we don't and allow it to be what it is and find some sort of understanding or refuge within ourselves and not try to change the other as much as we try to understand and bolster ourselves more. You're absolutely right. I think that this has been one of my greatest learning journeys um, of the last couple years is to get super comfortable with not being liked or seen in the way that I believe I am or want to see myself. And me becoming more and more comfortable with people being wrong about me has allowed me to access a type of freedom that was not available before. Because as long as I was preoccupied with being liked or seen in a certain way, I was tied to controlling people and narratives in a way that ultimately was taking up valuable resources mentally And the more and more comfortable I have become in allowing people to think what they need to think, believe what they need to believe, even though it's radically different from my version and my narrative, let them ultimately be wrong about me has allowed me to free those resources, 
free that mental space and get really comfortable with the discomfort of not being liked. So Isla, you said this is a concept that's quite topical for you. So what would you say is happening in the moments where you're not being liked or you're not seen for who you are? What, what are these triggers that are coming up for you? So that's a good question. There are main trigger activations that happen. The idea of being kind of misrepresented or misunderstood naturally highly triggers me. And two things happen, two main activations happen. And one trigger is an abandonment wound, which is ultimately this idea of being left behind or deserted or given up on when I'm not like that abandonment wound flares up. So that's one main trigger that happens to me. The second um, trigger that is actually very prevalent um, is this trigger of efforts unreceived. This one I'll explain a little deeper because it might not be as familiar to everybody. And so the idea of efforts unreceived for me is when the version I was, the attempts or the endeavor is not accepted or recognized, especially if I have a long-term relationship with this person. It's almost like they're not seeing all the inventory of the relationship, all the ways I had shown up over the years or decades. And so what it feels again, like my efforts were not considered good enough. There is a feeling of being unappreciated. Um, and again, not feeling approved or validated that one, I think runs even deeper than the abandonment one, but they kind of obviously are hand in hand, this idea of being given up on, not being fully seen, not being good enough. And so when someone doesn't like me per se, or doesn't see me or misrepresents me or misunderstands me in a way that I can't fix, let's say, um, these are the main triggers that, you know, fire up within my body, which is this idea that what I did and who I am is not good enough. And that ultimately makes me feel deserted and lonely. Yeah, those are, I think, probably common triggers for a lot of people. And, and like you said, they do go hand in hand. It's like, I wasn't good enough, and therefore now I'm abandoned. You know, that goes well into, I think, developmental stages of our childhood and how we were raised, even with very well-meaning parents. That, yes. that could be a very universal type of response to, to what you're discussing. I also think that is imprints, again, as you pointed out from childhood, obviously certain challenges or occurrences that has happened over time that is imprinted into the body. So that's how I receive that information and how I react to it. And, you know, the older versions of me, when they are leaning towards people pleasing, would try to figure out ways in which to fix the situation because I couldn't get comfortable with just letting it be of that I am not liked. I am not seen in the way that feels aligned with me. And just to be comfortable with that, that has taken work to build these new muscles because the older muscles would have pushed me when I got activated by these wounds to push me to fixing it and controlling it and trying to, again, to shape shift into a way that then I could gain that approval. That's what the old version would have done is like, how can I change my many layers to gain that approval because I couldn't sit with just the concept of not being liked. And I can imagine that, you know, the end of the day, we're saying that we're not recovering this relationship. So if that person or those people are still part of your life for whatever reason, run in the same social circles, that is one challenge. And then if 
they're no longer in your social circle or you don't see them anymore, then there's a different type of challenge. One could argue, you know, if they're no longer in your social circle, it could be easier. But I think it just depends on how well you can do what you're describing, Isla, how well you can let go of the idea of yeah. being liked is the ultimate. Because and there's going to be grief with both those cases, right? right. Like whatever we're presenting as tools today and whenever, however, they're dissecting this concept there will be always grief involved with all change and transition. But exactly like you said, the ultimate goal is becoming comfortable with not being like knowing you can't control these external environments and people. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a major, major take home point for this conversation is the idea of what you can't control and what you can control. It's not always very clear cut in the mind and in the heart when you're, when you're faced with these situations. So I would love to know you when you are not liked, <laughs> what, it, how it never happens, triggered? Isla, it never, <laughs> ever happens. Everyone likes me. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when you're not liked? What, what triggers activate within you? I have to really be honest with myself first, and then with everyone else listening. And that's if I'm not careful in those moments, I start to villainize the other person. I start to judge their decisions and their choices because I feel judged by them. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this idea where I'm projecting onto them because I probably don't feel safe and maybe blaming them, which is the you know cognitive emotional equivalent to the hot potato game where I don't like what I'm feeling. So I'm going to throw it back onto you. So I have to really sit with that and recognize that if I'm doing the work that this episode is about, which is accepting the idea that there will be a time and place where I won't be liked, it doesn't make what I've done necessarily even wrong. It makes it just different than what the other person is willing to see or accept. Mm -hmm. And because I place such a value on doing the right thing for myself, for my family, for society, that could be very difficult for me to accept and let go of. It's almost like I need them to see that the choice I made, though different from what they think is right, is still right. Mm -hmm. And like, gosh, darn it, you're going to see that. And if I have to draw up charts and graphs and, and you know, make this pie chart, <laughs> you will see that logic will prevail. And that's not the point of the work we're talking about. It's definitely not the point of this episode. And it's, it's not healthy because I'm, I'm taking that same energy of judgment and trying to find a back door to the, aha, I told you. And at the end, you know, right equals Yasha. And so, <laughs> <laughs> and so that's my work. That's my mindfulness. That's my awareness muscles pulling on some heavy weight. And so that's where one of my major, major triggers come up, which ultimately actually leads to what you said, safety and abandonment. Exactly. It's so interesting because like the way that that trigger evolves for you is this like obsession with being right means like you will spend time and resources finding ways to prove that you were right, you know, convince them otherwise, which is what I was saying was kind of Finally, the opposite, where it's like, I will spend time and resources shape-shifting myself to the version of you to gain that approval. So it's really interesting that this, this thing that seems so universal, you know, how does it feel not to be liked, triggers, you know, kind of opposing reactions within us and in our 
coping mechanisms are, are kind of different, um, which is interesting to see also, you know, that these will manifest differently in everyone, all from the same safety trigger of shit. I'm not liked. What should I do? How do I fix this situation? Um, you saw that both our triggers were kind of polar opposites in some ways. And for me, I also know what I, what it's like when I'm in a situation with someone who does villainize me because they need to become comfortable with themselves. So that is a very dangerous kind of attachment style too, where they need to make me look bad. So they feel better about themselves. And then I need to keep shape shifting until they approve me, which, you know, (laughs) seems very like avoidant and anxious attachment styles in that setting. But you can see how these coping mechanisms feed each other and not in a good way. They're not nourishing. Obviously, they're feeding the wounds instead of really moving us towards healing if we're not careful, because they're all being triggered from the same root that we're discussing today is like what happens when we're not liked what happens to our body? How are we triggered? We see if we don't bring that self-awareness piece to it, we're going down roads that are ultimately not serving any of us. And I want to make a quick point before we dive into kind of the healing side of this and, and what do we do about it all? It could easily be confused that the way I you know, judge others in my most kind of hurt places or the ways you shapeshift are all external occurrences. And they don't have to be. I think it's really important to slow down that part and recognize that the danger still is present if it's just something you're doing within your own mind. Absolutely. Where you're, yeah, where you're, you're, you're making the stories up. And I think for most of us, we spend most of our time replaying those conversations thousands of different ways and yeah. finding- I call them like arg- shower arguments. <laughs> Right, right. You know, where you have this imaginary conversations in the shower multiple times, you know, playing it out in the various ways. But yeah, go on. (laughs) Yeah, totally. In the shower, sitting on the toilet, it all happens. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow they're always in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're doing it on a drive. I feel like a lot of people have these imaginary conversations on drives, but we're just being we're just being very honest about where these imaginary conversations (laughs) occur. And and to bring it back to maybe a little bit more serious point, the point is recognizing that it is happening. Recognizing that just because you might not even decide to speak it out loud, you're still Mm -hmm. speaking it inside of yourself. It's just as powerful. Just as powerful. And in many ways, it's probably more powerful because you're not maybe recognizing all the weeds in the garden. You know, if you're just thinking, if you don't say it out loud, it doesn't exist, but it's there. It's there in, in, in the background. So I just wanted to highlight that before we moved on so that whoever's listening to this can, can take that on as a equal reality to you speaking up, speaking out, and you playing it over and over in your own mind and just kind of going in circles with your own thinking. And so the question that needs to be asked at this point, Isla, we'll start with you is how do you ultimately then get comfortable with the idea of not being liked? So it's again, um, an ongoing journey I have with this challenge. I think the first tool that I invoked trying to become more comfortable with not being liked was asking myself, did I act in alignment with my values? I asked myself, did I show up in a way that I am proud of? And if I did, then I choose me. My opinion of me matters more. So 
there's just a moment where I reenact or rethink about, you know, the situation at hand and all the things that happen and say, did you act in alignment with yourself, your best self or the version of you that you are trying to build? And if it's a yes, then I choose me. And there's still discomfort and grief, like I said, but I choose me because it's more important to choose me than to abandon myself. And if I do this replay and I think, well, you didn't really act in alignment with yourself, then I recover, you know, then I still choose me in the sense that it's okay. I got you. Let's recover. What does recovery look like in cases that it's appropriate and an apology or some sort of reconciliation? And if it's not available, you know, it goes back to, you know, my relationship with myself. I say, well, what, how would I have acted? How should I have acted? And how will I act next time? I make recovery always an option so that healing can occur and growth can occur. And in all cases, again, even when I'm wrong, I'm right in the sense that if I constantly am building these muscles, realigning with myself, choosing my own recovery and remembering the type of impact I want to have in this world from that version of me, that's what matters more than someone else approving of me. It's more important for me to approve of myself than anyone else. Like I said, self-abandonment is no longer an option. Which is sounds like is in support of stopping the chameleon act and, and allowing you to recognize that there is a different option than to pretzel and, and to fit into a situation that is not meant for you to fit in. And I can only assume again, if done in a healthy, loving, compassionate, self-compassionate and outwardly compassionate way, then it doesn't make the other person wrong in the sense that they see life that way, but it doesn't make it right about how they see you and how you choose to move forward in your life. Absolutely. And what it does ultimately is it goes back to my main activation triggers of abandonment and efforts unreceived. And I give those to myself. If my abandonment wound is so loud, then I shall not abandon myself. If my efforts unreceived wound is so loud, then I will not go on unrecognizing the efforts I've made. Ultimately, I gift myself what I'm looking for externally. And that becomes why I can become comfortable with not being liked. As long as I see myself, then you seeing me is just a bonus. But the relationship that I'm trying to get real good at is with me and me. So then me and you can thrive. That's really incredibly well said. And we didn't plan our answers or share our answers. The healing for me is so similar to the healing for you, but using different language. So if mine is judgment, if mine is judging the other, I heal by first not judging myself. And I heal by recognizing I am doing my best and being okay with actually messing up and presenting that mess up if I truly think I did. And if I need information, like I said, the pie chart and all of that, then I can go back and get that information and reanalyze the situation. I I like that. I actually, that thought experiment works for me. Mm -hmm. But if I come to the same or similar conclusion about how I presented to begin with, then I have to be okay with not judging that. 
I have to be okay with saying that I did my best and this is the conclusion and they have a different conclusion. Also, at the same time, I've learned that if I go back and recognize that I maybe didn't come to the same conclusion, I have more information now, I have more of an understanding and I'm not necessarily aligned with how I showed up, then I have to be forgiving enough and non-judgmental enough for myself to admit that, then to decide if the relationship is worth me presenting that information to. If, if I have enough confidence and trust in the individual to, to leave that information with them. But that doesn't mean if I don't present it to them, I also hide it from myself, right? I have to be very open to the non-judgmental part of this to be very clear that maybe I did make a mistake. Maybe there is something that I can learn from this. And when I do that, then I recognize that I actually am at more peace with myself. I'm happily unlearning certain concepts and happily relearning what those concepts could look like within myself, which ultimately makes me feel more stable within myself and the relationship with myself. It makes me feel more open to the constant changes that are happening outside of myself. So I can engage in those changes in a totally different way. And so my healing is ultimately for the greater good as well. It looks a little bit different. It sounds a little bit different from yours, but it is for the greater good. And allowing another person to still think after all the graphs and the pie charts and all the healing that I mentioned that I'm in their eyes wrong or I'm not seen as I wanted to be or present, that's when it becomes okay because I'm clear on what I'm doing and the choice I'm making for me. And so that's a really powerful place to to be in. Um, it doesn't, as far as I can tell in this conversation right now, leave much room to start having those weeds grow in the garden again, where those judgments and the hatred and the, and the, and the you have to be wrong for me to be right mentality to blossom again. It kind of leaves it as we're making different choices in life. And as long as I am not hurting you or myself with the choices I make, then I am more on the path towards healing than less on the path towards healing. Um, and that's been, you know, something that I know you and I, Isla, have talked a lot about recently about multitude of different concepts. And so it's been really interesting to see how it's come full circle in today's episode. Well, I thank you for being vulnerable and sharing, you know, how you were triggered and how you then, you know, soothe that trigger. I think all of us react differently to the idea of not being liked, but all of it will lead us to certain forms of self-abandonment. It will lead us to projecting. It will lead us to villainizing and victimizing these polars, you know, as the way we see the world as good and bad if we're not careful. So being able to tackle the issue of becoming comfortable with not being liked, building our toolbox of how we can like ourselves, know ourselves, see ourselves and give ourselves those critical parts that will soothe the parts that are triggered and activated will ultimately help us make better choices. Because the other types of choices are always leaning on some sort of control of others and on situations. And we all know that controlling is really just an indication of a lack of trust in others, in ourselves, in the universe. And that's not really going to support us going forward. 
So with today's concept of being able to evaluate what happens when you're not liked, what triggers you, what activates within you, and then find the tools to self-soothe them will ultimately empower you to not only become comfortable with the concept of not being liked and seen the way you want to, but ultimately become more powerful with the way you want to show up in the world, which makes the outside noise less loud. The more aligned we become with the version of ourselves that makes us proud, the less room usually we have with allowing these other situations to hold so much weight and matter. I started this episode because it's a concept that I've been journeying on for the last couple of years and really something I'm trying to tackle within myself and within my relationships, getting really deeply comfortable with not being liked. And ultimately what it comes down to is when I let others just be wrong about me, I set myself free. And freedom is one of my critical core values in life. It's what I'm trying to keep building is a sense of freedom, personal sovereignty. And with that comes a release of control about what people think of me and being okay with them not seeing me, not liking me, and ultimately being wrong about me as long as I'm not wrong about myself. Thank you for listening, friends. What shifted for you during this episode? We'd love to hear your insights. Write us with any questions, commentary, or episode ideas at theshiftatmindshiftleadership.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would deeply appreciate a like and subscribe. The Shift is brought to you by MindShift Leadership, a heart-centered, evidence-based, mindset-powered leadership company, empowering you with the training to prioritize mental health, inclusion, and performance optimization.